the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Billy Liar's got his hands in his pockets, staring over at the neighbor's knickers down. He's got his knickers down. Hey, this is Mary, and this is where you say, hey Mary, what's up? So I open my eyes in the morning, and even though I sleep well, I am anxious. This is nothing new. It is often part of the landscape of my re-entry into the conscious world. The house is hectic almost immediately, but my anxiety is manageable with strong coffee and prayer. Plus, I make lists, and I take them seriously. I still have to be careful, though, Sometimes my expectations set the alarm clock a few hours earlier than I do. They've got their own catalog of demands waiting for me before I even get up to pee. Number one, wake up. Number two, make list. Number three, be completely unreasonable. I enjoy itemizing my chores, errands, and commitments. I've got a super highway brain. There's lots of traffic and congestion, roadblocks, so whenever I can dump some of that noise onto paper, thinking becomes easier. I like to give careful consideration to each thought that crosses my mind. They all file in through the same door. Some take seats, others lean against the inside wall of my head. On particularly busy days, everybody takes a number and waits around to see their caseworker. The impatient ones get loud. They are poorly constructed and lack the sense required to become full-blown goals. But seeing as though they are still ideas, they deserve a chance. I am generally a nervous girl. I always have been. I suppose that's why I found the speedy drugs so appealing. I thought they would help me get shit done, catch up to the others and keep going as best I could. Let's face it, on any given day, there are so many piles of shit that need to be addressed. Who couldn't use a little help? Of course, I loved how the drugs made me feel, and I was glad they enabled me to drink more. I used to think if I stopped getting high, I'd stop moving, and I was desperately afraid of that. Slowing down, sitting down, taking a break, I did not want to get left behind. I hated being alone. No thank you. I sat on the edge of this young man's bed many years ago, looking through his photo album, trying to figure out where I could insert myself into his life. He showed me this picture he took of a busy roadway in Queens. I did not recognize it as such. There were no cars or trucks, just streaks of color against the dark blue sky. He tried explaining the technical details to me, but I had no interest in what he was saying. I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy falling in love, and nothing else mattered. I had made myself a list, you see, and finding a boyfriend was on it. Being selective was not. I moved swiftly toward any feeling that put distance between me and my loneliness. I needed attention. I went ahead and had a child with this person I barely knew, mainly so I'd have some company. I wasn't thinking. And as my appetite for drugs and alcohol increased, 
I kept adding names to the list of lives I thought I'd ruined. Me and lists, we go way back. I read this book once. I can't recall the title, but the author described himself as an alcoholic and drug addict in long-term recovery. I love how that sounds. I remember thinking to myself, if anybody ever asks me how much time I have, I will tell them I am in long-term recovery. I think it's a nice way of saying, I'm doing well and I value my clean time, but today is really what counts. I am so devoted to my sobriety. I am serious and it is working. I have God in my life in ways that make sense to me. I feel sane and smart and capable. My recovery and I are comfortable friends with an impressive history. Our bond is healthy and satisfying on so many levels. Now, this thing I had with the dope and the booze, not really what you'd call a relationship, even though we were pretty exclusive. I didn't realize I'd arranged to allow these two seemingly innocent recreational activities to try and kill me every time we got together. And when I finally got sick and tired of their bullshit and wanted them to leave... They wouldn't go because I couldn't let them and that's fucked up. When I first got sober, I decided I didn't need any new friends or their phone numbers. I could do without their invitations to have lunch and go to the movies. I tried putting the tools and techniques that I was hearing about inside a little box. I thought it would be best if I compartmentalized all this new knowledge, you know, have it ready in case there was an emergency. But I didn't want any of this hippy-dippy stuff to get mixed up with the rest of my life. I needed everything on two separate lists. Which was dumb. Recovery is this bold and brilliant awakening, and I'd been asleep at the switch. I've come to believe anything and everything I've been told. Not immediately or overnight. It took a while. Sanity sounded crazy in the beginning. But with this understanding is the realization that the past is done and I can't go back there, not to hide or defend my actions, nor return to self-destructive habits. Damn, I can always buy a new toothbrush. I will stay here in today where it's safe. I was involved in a conversation the other day about honesty. It's a terrific topic for me as I am a natural born liar. Since as far back as I can recall, I lied with regularity. And not just to cover up shameful behavior, I fabricated stories recklessly and with great purpose. Each elaborate bit of fiction introduced my life as something more interesting than it was. I liked the attention it brought me. Embellishing the truth made me feel special, my first high. And with that, lying became a reflex. My mother used to say, God damn it, Mary, I can't trust you as far as I can throw you. Why she'd actually want to be hurling me around and measuring the distance is anybody's guess, although admittedly, I was a difficult child. I lied about the donuts I pinched from a box on the kitchen counter. With powdered sugar on my face and fingers, I cried out in four-year-old frustration, No donuts, Daddy! And everybody laughed. It became a running joke. The very image reminds me of all the cocaine I denied snorting. With my nostrils covered in the shit, I swore up and down I never touched the stuff. As a little girl, I kept lying and stealing food. I snuck downstairs when my parents fell asleep after the fighting. 
I took Ritz crackers, slices of American cheese, and ate them in secret beneath the blankets in my room. Why are there crumbs in your bed? Mom wanted to know. It's sand, I told her. From a science project. I got an A. I stole money from my mother's purse to buy a big bag of cookies. I shared them with my friends in the schoolyard. Where did you get these? One of them asked. There was a station wagon filled with groceries on Zariga Avenue. The window was open, so I took them. I didn't have to lie. I wanted to. Okay, so I really have to tell you this story. When I was nine, I robbed a $100 bill out of the coffee can when my father kept the cash from his paycheck. I remember thinking, this is a great idea. For two days prior to the theft, I checked on the money to make sure it was exactly where I saw it last. By the third morning, I'd convinced myself that my parents wouldn't notice if some of it was gone. I separated $100 bill from the rest. I looked carefully at what was left, Two hundreds. Seems like plenty, I reasoned. They'll never miss it. I tucked the loot into the bottom of my shoe and walked around on my crime for several hours. I'd already gotten real comfortable swiping singles and the occasional fin here and there. I was familiar with the paltry sums in my mother's pocketbook and the bowl beside the toaster where my dad kept loose change, spare bullets, and a few of his own extracted teeth. I liked purchase purchasing school supplies from the equipment closet in the fourth grade hallway at St. Raymond's. I bought assignment pads, lead pencils, and cartridge pens for myself and boys that I liked. I was a generous thief. I'd score the occasional box of cough drops when Mom sent me into the candy store to buy her cigarettes. I doled them out in class. Everybody loved Pine Brothers, chewy cherry style. On the day of the heist, while I ate my cream cheese and jelly sandwich, I wondered how I was going to make change for this big an amount at school without provoking any questions. I needed to devise a plan, a way to let my folks know that I'd suddenly come into a large sum of money without being pestered about its origin. Heck, if they agreed to break down my windfall into more negotiable denominations, I'd be happy to consider a handsome tip for their efforts. With the freedom of my own financial decision-making, I figured I could spend it as I saw fit. You'd think. I decided to tell them i just found it while digging a hole in the basement. I dug a little trench near an exposed pipe in the floor by the washing machine. I came up the stairs with a spoon in one hand and Ben Franklin in the other. I shared the news of my archaeological find with my mother. She promptly beat my bottom until it was raw. The poor woman started sleeping with her handbag next to her bed. The coffee can was moved to an undisclosed location that took me seven months to find, above the plexiglass insert of the drop ceiling in the living room. I knew where it was by the fourth month. I could see the shadow of the round container where the fluorescent light was. But I had to wait until I was tall enough to reach it from a chair with three phone books stacked on top. I lifted a 20 while they were at church on Sunday. I pretended I was sick. I secretly bought a box of Valentine candy from my teacher from the drugstore on Westchester Avenue, a big pink one, shaped like a heart. I carried it all the way to school, under my winter coat. My acquisition filled me with excitement. Mrs. Dunn thanked my mother for the gift, and I got my ass handed to me right there in front of the rectory. In the meanwhile, I stole a blank check from my father's checkbook. I couldn't tell you how this piece of paper became money but I was determined to figure it out. I had my eye on a Mead five-pocket organizer, 
I had a feeling this binder would really change my life. Needless to say, I kept on lying. To escape. To pretend I was someone else. To reward myself. These are the same reasons I drank and got loaded. I turned to these behaviors as a means to relax and relieve tension. I guess that's what was so dangerous when I finally put the shit down. They say everything has to change when you stop drinking and drugging. That means lying and stealing too. These outlets were how I responded to stress. And if I couldn't learn how to soothe myself without using, I'd surely relapse. So last night, I read over my notes for this podcast to my husband. And when I was done, he did not look as impressed as I was hoping. He wasn't wearing the adoring face that suggests I did a good job. What? I demanded. It feels top-heavy, he explained. It starts okay, but gets lectury. And after that, it's all stories. This was not what I wanted to hear. Yeah, well, maybe I planned it that way. Which was a lie. And then he continued. It's too much entertainment. It's unfocused. It falls over under the weight of the punchlines. Ordinarily, I value my husband's opinion. He is righteous and good. But it was late, and I was tired. I felt like I wanted the work I'd already done to be enough. I covered my face like a child. I'm going to need you to stop talking, I said into my cupped hands. I might have pushed him to the ground if I were a bigger, more volatile woman. But I'm not. And besides, I was already under the blankets. He just kept at it, the whole while making logical, realistic observations about my writing. I would have none of it, because in that moment, I just wanted him to shut up. I was too busy calling him stupid in my mind to listen or budge one ounce toward change. I tried arguing my point some more, but there really was no point. In the back of my mind, I knew he was right. Lies are no match for the truth. So I said I was sorry, I think, and went to sleep. When I woke up this morning, my head felt different. My heart must have dusted itself off in the night. I was a little less irritated, and at least open to rereading what I wrote. I started to consider how I could improve my message. As I was getting dressed, it dawned on me that I should jot some of this shit down. What was going on in my brain felt important. Some quiet growth behind the scenes, a willingness, and this is recovery in action. I think I may have even been praying, but I didn't realize. Which is very cool, because not all prayers are requests. I was distracted. Yes, I wanted the situation fixed, but I had other issues on my list of things to do. Clearly, I needed help with the tension I could feel crawling up my legs, across my shoulders, and into my ears. And God shows up. He's amazing. If you were to tell me that if I just put down my dope in the bottle, I'd become the kind of person who prays and meditates, who appreciates the feelings and opinions of others, who keeps trying even when situations are difficult, who learns from her mistakes, I'd have insisted you were nuts. But these are some of the things I've got going for me on a daily basis. I am becoming physically well and spiritually fit. Shit, I'm like an athlete. <laughs>
another clean and sober intervention. Yeah.